Welcome to the Real Estate Secrets Podcast for healthcare professionals, hosted by Austin Hare and Nathan Palmer, who together have over two decades of real estate knowledge and investing. This show is about sharing lessons in commercial real estate that were learned from trial and error and working directly with CEOs of billion-dollar healthcare organizations. Our mission is to teach the insider strategies to everyday healthcare operators in order to get access to the best real estate at the best prices. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Commercial Real Estate Secrets. Today, we have a very special guest, Emmett Scott. Um, he has a lot of titles and all very impressive titles. President at the Association of the Dental Sport Organizations, Partner and Mentor at DEO, which is the Dentist Entrepreneur Organization, DSO Secrets Podcast Host, CEO at Community Dental Partners. And there's even more than that. We actually had to condense those down just so we could fit it all in today's <laughs> podcast. So Emmett, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. You know, it's it's awesome to be that deep in dental. In case anyone was wondering, those were a bunch of dental groups, the, the ADSO, which is the Dental Association for uh, Dental Support Organizations. Um, anyway, started off, you know, 10 years, just 10 years ago, just trying to help my best friend out. We've been best friends since we were two years old. Wow. And, and uh, he's a dentist. I was going to help him open his first practice. And obviously I got a little deeper into this whole industry than just that. I'll say. So, yeah, um, you know, I'm curious what is kind of the story there, because like you and I were talking about earlier, um, whenever people reach a point of, of notoriety, you know, it seems like an overnight success, but it's not. There's usually a history there. And so I'm curious, like, what, what was your first entrepreneurial experience? Like, when did you think that maybe you had a knack for it or maybe you're a little bit different than some of the other kids around you? Yeah. Um, so 14 years old, super frustrated over the fact that government regulation did not allow me to work. <laughs> That's so I found a loophole and that is you can mow lawns. And uh, so I started mowing lawns. I got with my, uh, my best friend, um, Brian. And so is Emmett Brian. So is EMB lawn care. I know very creative. We went around door to door, put it up got our nine lawns, which was more money than any 14 year old could handle. <laughs> Luckily he was 16, so he could drive. And um, yeah, that was the first time we kind of hacked the system, so to speak. And I think anytime there's been some kind of issue, then I just kind of called on that 14 year old self, you know, figure this out. That's great. Okay. So start with the lawns. You started realizing, Hey, I, I can make some serious money or at least for a 14 year old. And then what was the next step for you after yeah, that? Yeah. I, you know, then I served a church mission, um, which was ASL, uh, worked with the deaf, did that for two years, came back, uh, went up to BYU. I had no clue what I wanted to do. That might be a good sign too. You're an entrepreneur. And so I went ahead and said, well, they're number two at the time in accounting. Okay. That means I should do that. And it's a language of business, still no idea. Got out of school and I went into financial planning. And um, I really loved it because of like the more intimate nature of getting into people's finances. I didn't love that there was some sales component. I thought it would be a little more sophisticated finance. And oftentimes you're selling insurance, mutual funds, et cetera. And so I started just kind of going deeper and deeper on that, making it more and more consulting. I actually sold two financial planning businesses. I built one up inside of a CPA firm, another one up inside of an estate planning firm. And so with that, I was like, oh, maybe I'm an entrepreneur. I also noticed a lot of entrepreneurs were coming to me to do financial planning. And so really the pivotal moment here was I had a friend that I said, 
why are you investing in an account? Why don't you just scale your business? And I started looking at all my customers and I'm like, why aren't they scaling their businesses? Why are they even coming to me? Like the best investment would be back into their business. And I realized that there was this ceiling and that was that entrepreneurship is different than executive leadership. Right. Like being an entrepreneur, if you think about it from like a visual model, it's about being very innovative, overcoming problems, working harder, the hustle, all of those things. But it's a hub and spoke system. Right. Like you're in the middle and everyone's coming to you. If you think about executive leadership, you start thinking about the typical org chart. Well, what is the transition process from being kind of the smartest one in the room, reviewing all the financials, blah, 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 to knowing how to hire a CFO, hire a COO, et cetera, right? Oftentimes we're the entrepreneur because we got really smart on a technical skill, not because we're smart on everything in the world, you know? So anyway, I started a, um, a consulting firm called Entrepreneur Advisors. And at that point, I also started a radio show called The Entrepreneur Life. And I just started studying uh, around this. And I had some cus- uh, some clients who became clients of this consulting business. And I was really good at it. I understood what the issues were, that there was all this intuition that needed to get downloaded. I brought in project management and we started scaling business. I had my first client went from 4 million to 18 million in his construction business in 18 months. And in the way he judged success, he actually held up his phone and he said, you know how I, I know I'm successful, Emmett? This phone isn't ringing anymore, right? So, so he was so burned out from like being pulled in so many directions. And then um, I did that for several years until Dr. Evans called me again, friend since we were two years old. And he said, hey, I really want to open up this dental practice. I went and did kind of my analysis, looked at it. And I said, you should probably open up like multiple dis- business practices. Well, being buddies, he said, what buddies say? Well, I don't know how to do that. If you want to do it, go ahead. <laughs> so, we, so that made our partnership and we started this. And um, what we did really different in dental is he has seven kids. He had served a mission, a Spanish uh, speaking mission in Chile, and he really wanted to serve the underserved market. So he was going where most dentists don't want to go. And so he wanted to do pediatric. He wanted to do Hispanic, um, a lot of Medicaid type insurance, a lot of complexity. Most dentists don't want to take on. Yeah. So, but we looked at each other and I'm like, listen, I hate to tell you this, but like everyone hates dentistry, right? <laughs> like if you think of, we have idioms from your industry to describe other things we hate. Like <laughs> it's like pulling teeth. It's like a root canal, right? Yeah. Like your industry is used to describe how we hate life. And so I was like, marketing wise, this is going to be tough. Like, how are we going to get kids to think that dentistry is fun? Well, we stood, stepped back and we said, well, you know what they think is really fun? They think Chuck E. Cheese is fun. They think Disneyland's fun. What if we built that in? So we did a movie theater, a play gym. We actually built the entire dental practice like it was a storybook and we made them part of the storybook. So we call them back as prince or princess. They get gold coins. When the x-ray room says once upon a time, there was a chipmunk named Charlie. We went with chipmunk, by the way, in case any of those marketing guys want to understand because the boys really like dragons, but we felt like seven foot dragons inside a dental office was going to be too much. The <laughs> girls really liked bunnies. That felt too soft. Chipmunks, neutral. Okay. And uh, made him a wizard. The kids get crowned at the end for their bravery and dentistry. A good dental practice will have 100 first visits, 100 new patients in that first month. We had 1,000 in the first three weeks. Wow. So we knew we had something and we started to build them out. Now, one thing that I think your listeners would be interested in is we could not get financing 
Mm. You would think that a model that was going from zero to 4 million in revenue, like that quickly would be able to get financing easily. Right. Could not get financing. Well, what happened? Well, dental practices are really expensive to build, you know, because of the plumbing, because of the electrical, like, I mean, as you know. Yeah, $185, $200 a square foot. I mean, it's definitely one of the most expensive industries to build out for, if not the most expensive. And, you know, the banks don't love it um, because it's all cash flow driven. They can lend like on a dentist's hands and his ability or her ability to, to, to earn their way out of it. But if you're scaling it, it's super painful. So, um, you know, we did what good entrepreneurs did. We begged. And so we went to all friends and family. And luckily there was someone in this town uh, who we had a relationship, very little that had um, uh, the ability to make an investment in our second location. Our third location, Chad's dad took the family cabin and put that up as collateral, which it happened to snow the worst it had ever snowed in Dallas at that time. And um, so our revenue got really depressed all the time. We thought we were going to lose the cabin. Like that's its own story, you know, (laughs) but we worked our way through that became one of our most successful practices. This is how we were grinding it out. You know, at the time we'll um, this year, we'll be on track for a hundred million. Last year, we, we were just over 50 million. So you can also see that we're now on track, but man, during those early times, So, you know, if I was going to say something around real estate that I would love to see in the marketplace, those build to suit worlds, you know, I was like, where are you? And how do I, I I didn't know it at the time, but it's like, how can I get my arms around that? Um, Because financing was so Mm -hmm. difficult. So anything I could have done. Oftentimes people ask me if I have invested in real estate because it's such a great opportunity in the dental space but I've had my hands full just trying to handle dental practices. I would have loved a great, you know, partner in doing things like that. So there, I guess my point is there is so much opportunity on the real estate side to help growing professional businesses. Cause the financing is so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So I'm curious, you know, you were at, you self-funded, it sounds like your first location, and then you brought on, you know, friends and family for the second location. It sounds like you had a weather storm literally. <laughs> and then after that, were you able to prove to the banks, hey, this is a scalable model, like we have two locations and able to secure financing that way? Like, how did you go from, you know, the second location to start scaling after that? Yeah, so banks lended on the third because of the family cab and they lended on the first because of Dr. Evans person. These were different banks, though, right? Uh-oh. Like, it had to be like different banks. Um, our fourth location. So this is crazy. Now we're at like, let's say on three locations. Um, we were on track for let's say $10 million in revenue, no banks would lend to us, right? So we took an individual, we took one of our associates and we partnered with him because the way it worked, he could get financing as a new dentist easier than we could as a successful Mm. business. What what year was all this happening in? Uh, 2010, 2010, 11. So, so banks, I mean, in fairness, Banks were also a little hesitant to just go out and start lending in 2010. They were still kind of getting their feet underneath them. But I'd say even today, you know, banks feel much more comfortable lending to real estate than they do cash flow businesses, right? I mean, it's not like we have a lot of collateral in dentistry. And so that, that was also difficult. And I'm doing something really wacky, which costs a lot more money uh, to do. I wasn't in the typical 
hey, we're going to build, you know, 1,200 square feet. I was doing 5,000, 7,000 square feet offices. Uh, to right. Place. Yeah, I feel like that's the hard spot between like three and, and 10 locations. <laughs> and then after that, you've kind of proven yourself, okay, this is a really viable model. But so, you know, one location is obviously easy to lend on because you're lending it to the dentist. Like you said, it's their hands, right? Like it's their occupation more so than investment. But it becomes very difficult in between like that, that one and that 10 spot. Yeah. And I wonder if other industries have that same issue. I mean, any professional industry, right, that has good relationships, almost banks have that um, that owner lending side, right, that small business side, but then they have the corporate side and there's usually a really big gap. Yeah. Uh, you've heard me talk about my podcast. There's a dark tunnel that exists between those two. And, and so by our fourth location, we were looking for private equity. Uh, because we felt like we had a huge opportunity, but we couldn't, we couldn't get the capital uh, mm. to make that go. And so then, obviously, I'm guessing that was successful. You found it. You found the partners that you were looking for. Yeah, yeah. So, and and we've been through several rounds with that, and uh, we're actually getting ready to do that again here soon. Because you also scale through private equity. You know, when a lot of us, when we think of private equity, we think it's like you know, one just great, um, you know, hall of gold that people pull from, but the reality is they have tiers too. So we've burned through each of our private equity partners that they have their maxes and concentration risk and so forth. And they, they yeah, they have their exit plans too, that they want to hit, which is great. Yes. Yeah. Like several of them hit that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to circle back with what you said about, you know, um, the bank and the lending and that sort of thing. It's because we kind of get this question a lot and um, a lot of people feel like when they don't buy that they're missing out on the money because, you know, the, a billboard somewhere said, don't throw your money away on rent. <laughs> and now it's like every, everybody believes it. But, you know, realistically, you're not throwing away your money on rent for multiple reasons. I mean, there's so many costs that you're going to have to pay even if you own it that you're kind of, you know, they're not going towards the principal balance. And then also, um, if you're getting a better location, right? Because nothing was available to buy, then it's totally worth it. So we always coach like, okay, from the lens of like, where's the best location? And if, if you got to rent, rent, if you got to buy, buy, right? But come with it from that lens first and then try and figure out how to make it work. And um, yeah, I liked what you, you had a quote that was, you know, your rent column, your rent expense should actually be in your marketing column. And I really like that. That really resonated with me because that, you know, we, we coach that a lot as well as like, you know, how much more money are you gonna have to spend if you go to an office location that's not doesn't have good visibility, and now you got to pay money in digital, you know, marketing for to get those same amount of people. So, what was your guys's real estate? Oh my goodness! So I got to tell you our first story then, and and this will throw Dr. Evans a little under the bus. But he was so <laughs> excited when I flew out for our first meeting. He had already picked the location. It was um, I want to say eight dollars a square foot, right? So amazing uh, cost, right? And as we're driving up the freeway, we pull off into this really busy mall area. And I'm like, oh my gosh, great job, you know? And we drive past that. Now this is out in Texas. So <laughs> we drive past all of that. We probably pass through, I bet there's still eight dentists there, right? <laughs> and then we drive past that. We hit like Lowe's that's sitting on the end of it and then Home Depot. And then uh, Texas, we start hitting fields, right? And then we come up to the street and there's this old government building that's there and we drive into that parking lot. All right. And I'm like, Ugh. and then we drive behind it and behind it, there's this little door facing a field that you can't see from the street at all. And he's like, 
So what do you think? He's so excited. First dental practice, right? And um, the words out of my mouth is, we're going to need a lot of signage. <laughs> and that's what we focus on is getting a lot of signage. I had sign spinners out front. Like, think about this dental, like how weird we were. But we just, I just knew we needed to get to the customer. So we had sign spinners in front of other dental practices because oh, wow. we were on that street, you know, that was so busy. And uh, we get phone calls all the time from that. But we, we, we partnered with radios. That's how much we had to put into it because the real estate wasn't in the yeah, right Yeah, and overcome the disadvantage in the beginning. So by the time you saw it, the lease was already signed and there's, it was too late. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lease was done. It, it was a great deal. But, um, you know, we're, we're just now, 10 years later, getting ready to, to build a, a new location. It would probably be the first real estate we actually own. And part of that was we did the calculation and, you know, our return on investment with dental practices is 18 to 38% IRR. And so it's so positive that any money for us into real estate, you know, these are high class problems, by the way, but because of the way the banks work and because of the way it's, it's hurt us in the past, and I think we're just going to change that, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't worth it to do the real estate. Now, someone had, had they partnered with us along the way, you know, what a great opportunity for someone to be picking yeah. up 10 year leases, you know, 20 year leases. From right, us. right. Because you guys are, you know, who, they, whoever the tenant is, they're providing the value of the building, right? That's what right. a lot of people don't understand the difference between residential and commercial is the fact that it's more like a business in commercial real estate because it's driven by the income that's coming in and it's coupled with the credit of the tenant. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you are limited by your capital. And so I agree, like looking at it in terms of what is going to give me the best rate of return, the best IRR is the correct way to look at it. Because, you know, real estate, some people think they're diversifying. Um, but if you buy the building that your office is, uh, you know, practicing in, it's not really that much diversification because the value is still driven by you being successful. <laughs> and it's so beneficial when you do have a great landlord. You know, we've been in the buildings where, water's coming in through the ceiling and they're forever to get back to us. And we've been in places where they're like on top of stuff all the time. Right. So when you say it's like a business, I totally agree. There's good customer service. There's bad mm -hmm. customer service. And did we want another, you know, I'm building call centers. I'm trying to support these dental practices and hundreds of employees, HR, IT. Did I also want to get in the real estate business or did I want to have great real estate partners, right? That can take that on. So again, I just kind of open that up that there's opportunities all over the place. Yeah. You know. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause um, like, you know, cause you guys are driving the value. One of the strategies that we help people work with too, is a temporary allocation of capital to purchasing the real estate. So like if the building's empty, you know, you want to go there, right? You could buy that building. You then lease it to yourself. Then now you've driven up the value of that building, put that building up for sale sell it, make the difference on the arbitrage, which could be significant. And then now you can use that money to go scale your business, which is because over time, real estate is going to give you, you know, 10 to 14% return. But when you said in your business, it's 18 to 30, right? I mean, it's clearly a better long-term place to Austin, park. I just heard about that like 24 months ago. <laughs> and so you can't know everything. And yeah. I think it's a brilliant idea. And again, had I had Austin in my life, you know, <laughs> early on, then I think that's what we would have done is, is done that kind of investment, got that capital back, made that arbitrage, and then, you know, did that again and again. I think it's brilliant. 
Yeah. So, and then real quick, I know we're, we got to hop off in a couple minutes. What, what's kind of your strategy now moving forward with your real estate? I mean, obviously it's not purchasing. It sounds like it's leasing. What kind, what types of things do you guys look for and how much does it affect the, the success of the business? Yeah. At, at the end of the day, like one of the things that Amazon is creating in all of us and not just from a digital perspective, mental perspective is convenience, 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 right? So real estate's still important from the fact that, but it has to be just super convenient. Like what is the path people are naturally already driving? Cause if they have to go off that path, right? I know that there's, and I'm not an expert on this, but I know like Taco Bell does not allow for a left-hand turn light to get into their locations, right? Like there's certain things they figured out has to have high level of convenience for the customer. On a much smaller scale, we're always looking at the retail market and saying, is mom already going to the grocery store near there, right? Are there things? So I think dentistry is really leading the way to make healthcare more convenient. I think healthcare needs to be more and more at the forefront of convenience so that people will take advantage of it. We can't sit back and say, well, we're a need. So we'll just wait till they need us. And I think we all, all of healthcare is kind of taking that approach, which ends up meaning that people are just deferring their healthcare and going to an ER clinic, which is not good for anybody. So I think going forward from a real estate perspective, and it's really always been ours is where do our customers already go? Yeah. Now we want to we want to be there. Let's not try to divert them from that. We refer it as is it a drive to or a drive through, right? Because if you're driving through, yeah, sure they'll see it. It's good, but it's not as good as a drive to where they're going to stop, they're going to park, you know, they're they're going to look around. So, do you guys do a lot of um, you know anchor large anchor tenants like grocery stores or just any any plaza? Yeah, no, love the grocery store, large anchor tenants. You know, as close as we can be uh, to to grocery stores. I think is, has been really smart for us. So. Yeah. Well, okay. I know we're gonna have to hop off here in a second. So uh, it's yeah. been really helpful for anybody who, you know, they want to know more maybe about the ADSO, the, you know, Association of Dental Support Organizations or the DEO, like the Dentist Entrepreneur Organization, anything like that. What's a good place? Like, how can they find out more information if they want to learn more about you? So my them? awesome team just put together a website, emmettscott.com, E-M-M-E-T-S-C-O-T-T. It shows the different organizations that I am involved with so that you can link over to them. Very helpful. If there are any dentists out there, absolutely get involved. You know, the free one is DSO Secrets Facebook page um, and, and the podcast, but also DEO. You know, if you're not interested in doing a, a DSO, Dentist Entrepreneur Organization, so powerful. And uh, any entrepreneur who wants to reach out, you know, I'm always open and uh, love to connect with fellow entrepreneurs because we're really moving things to the future. Great, great. And last question, are you on Clubhouse yet? I, I am on Clubhouse as of like, <laughs> as of like what, a week ago, maybe it was two days ago, it, you know, entrepreneur minds like everything so much, but just got on, invited like, you know, as many friends as they would let me within one clubhouse, you know, and, um, oh yeah, they'd love this clubhouse, you know, <laughs> just trying to get my friends in. But, uh, do you have something on clubhouse? Going? Yeah, I just started, but I was talking to my friend about it. You know, I see this as a really great way to augment podcasting, especially once they allow you to start recording and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, we're working on some collaborations, but yeah, we'll have, we should do a, a collaboration on that and, and to help build our audiences in the future. Let's do it. I'm in. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Emil, well, thanks for your time. And, uh, We'll look forward to connecting again soon. Thank you all. 
If you need help finding the perfect location for your practice or you're ready to invest in commercial real estate, email us podcast at leadersre.com. That's podcast at leadersre, R-E as in realestate.com. Or go to leadersre.com and fill out our form. See you next time.